Hello, and welcome to the Words and Music Podcast, where we talk to musicians about their favorite books and writers. I'm David Wilson, and today I'm talking with Dylan LeBlanc, a musician and songwriter who was born in Louisiana and came of age in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, where his father was a songwriter at the legendary Fame Studios. Over the last 10 years, Dylan has released four albums, most recently 2019's Renegade, which was produced by Dave Cobb. In this conversation, Dylan and I discuss his early life, his musical career, and the time when he was a teenager and Jason Isbell gave him a list of books he considered required reading. Here's a sample of the title track off of Renegade, followed by my conversation with Dylan recorded in New York City earlier this year. Yeah, I grew up in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. Mom and Dad split up when I was about four months old, and uh, Mom and I moved in with my grandfather. He was a hairdresser, and uh, he had a shop in his house, uh, in the front part of his house. And uh, so I, li- I, and I lived with him for a year, and then she met my stepdad, and they got married, and then we moved out to a suburb of Shreveport called Blanchard. Um, and lived with my brother. Then my brother was born a year later. Yeah, so to my stepdad, so he's my half brother. And my twin sister and I, who were from my, my father, so we were their twins. And then, anyway, it's a weird story, complicated. And, yeah. But anyway, so then I lived, I grew up there for 10 years, and then I moved with my dad uh, to Muscle Shoals okay. when I was 10. And my sister stayed with my mom, and I moved with my dad. And, uh, He's a musician, right? Yeah, he's a yeah. songwriter. He was trying to break into the Nashville scene, uh, just being a published songwriter. Um, and he does, you know, the nine to five still to this day on Music Row. Nine to five songwriting, writing for commercial country. Yeah. So he's with uh, he was with Sony for a while, and he's with another company now. But he's been doing that since two, 1997. 
that's like go punch in the clock kind of songwriting, right? Like really kind of yeah. Down to yeah, the, you, it's like very organized and scheduled, and you know the opposite of what I do. Yeah. You know, you you, you have your calendar and you set up the, the dates and and then you go play. I mean, you go play. You, you go write with these people. Yeah. You know? Love and everything's co-writing. I like. Yeah, everything right? is co-writing. You just find and then you want to write with the producers of whoever's producing, like Taylor Swift or whatever. You know, or, or they are like Carrie Underwood's making a record. You know, and like you try to, especially now since streaming is such a big thing and nobody's selling tons of records. Right. You want to try to write with like you know the people for the algorithm. Like, yeah. yeah, and the team within the team, because as much money as they can keep in the in the team, is, they want to, and they don't like paying publishers and outside songwriters. You yeah, because it's they want the money to kind of stay in one spot. But sure. it's a different world than what it used to be, for sure. I remember when he started. Everybody was. They were cutting songs from everyone, you know? yeah. And now it's more about like, where, how are we going to get the most income? Yeah, you know. So. Well, yeah, you hear stories about Nashville back then, and it was like guys would show up at the bar, and yeah. After you know, it's not just that. writing a song. And yeah, that Nashville doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. You know the the whole Chris Chris Hobson land in a plane at Johnny Cash's house. Yeah, and it's great. Sunday morning coming down, you know, like that. That was incredible. You know, I don't know. You never know if that stuff is true, but you, you know people talk about it. Yeah. Wow, what a legend, you know. I think I mean I from what I've gathered, like I, I mean I think he was like in the reserves or something, he and was, he was like, yeah. I think there's some truth to the story to that story. Yeah, he was it's a Rhodes Scholar. I know. Man, what a what a incredible life he's lived. Um, so you did. Uh, it sounds like probably your most of your coming of age is happening in Muscle Shoals. Yeah. Dad, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did a lot of. That's when I started learning about you know songwriting and and, and meeting people uh, that were great songwriters. And in that town, the caliber of it was all about being a good songwriter. The world I come from is, is it, it was all about songs. If you knew, and you knew if you didn't have songs, then you didn't have anything. And songs were like currency to get you. A little further along in, in in the music business, and it was all about writing a good song. And so you didn't want to play a song for anyone in that town, and it not be the best that you could possibly be. Yeah. You know, especially because you know Donnie Fritz, who wrote "We Had It All," you know, uh, he was a friend, and he just passed actually, very sad. But he you know he, he'd written "Old Timer" for Willie Nelson that was on that couple records ago that Willie did. Friends with John Prine, he was friends with Chris. He was in that movie. Uh, Pat Garrett, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid yeah, yeah. with Bob Dylan and Chris and all them. And, uh, but he just had tons of tons of hits. He wrote Memphis Women and Fried Chicken. <laughs> um, but he was a cool guy, and I, I hung out with him a lot. And, you know, uh, there was all kind of cool people. I mean, Dan Penn was around who wrote, you know, Dark End of the Street uh, with Chips Moman. And, and then Spooner Oldham was around. He wrote tons of great songs woman left lonely you know janice joplin uh, so there were just tons of cool people man like legends you yeah know? They, but they were just in this little pocket this little small town in alabama yeah i mean they're just all there because because fame is there because so. fame was there and rick hall started the company and they were all high school kids you know who were trying to break in and billy sherrill is also from florence and in the muscle shoals area he had many of George Jones hits. He wrote songs for Roy Orbison and him and Rick were partners for a while and, and then 
Billy started working for Owen Bradley in Nashville, so he branched out, and then Rick stayed in Muscle Shoals and started Fame, and then he got connected with Jerry Wexler right. at Atlantic, and then he discovered, you know, Percy Sledge. So, when a man loves a woman, you know, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just this cool hub in the middle of, like, if you didn't necessarily want to get live in Nashville, but you wanted to be a part of the world that that that, that was in, right. you know, you could come to Muscle Shoals and, and, and write for this little company, you know, Fame. And they had about 18 writers at the time when my dad signed there. And uh, so he was working there, working hard. He worked every day writing songs. And they had a, st- you could cut it, Fame. You'd, his day would usually be like, he'd write the song and then he'd do like a demo of it. Yeah. It's an acoustic uh, vocal. And, uh, and it was just really neat to watch and, and be around there. I stayed there from 2000 to 2004. And then I moved back to Shreveport and I moved in with my grandmother and started school in high school in Shreveport. And, uh, and then I dropped out in 2006 and joined a, a band and started touring right after that. And then I came back to Muscle Shoals uh, in 2008 with the band that I had started with a friend of mine and made a record and some of those songs ended up being on Pompers Field, my first record. That sounds like a, that's a hell of an education just to be be kind of witness to people taking songs seriously and working at it. And it was just cool. It was a craft. I finally, I, it, like, it struck me at that young age that, like, this is possible. Like, it was like people are, you can make a living singing your songs and right. you, can, you, can, you can do what you love to do and, and, and make it work for you, you know. And I started realizing, like, wow, that's amazing. Like, that's a possibility. Yeah. You know, and, um, but you had to, you know, you had to put the work in. You had to write a lot of songs. I remember having to write a lot of songs before I ever wrote one good one, you know. And I remember, you know, people saying stuff like, you know, it's just songwriting is a practice, you know. Right. You know, like. Like doctors practice medicine, lawyers practice law. You gotta practice songwriting, yeah. And hopefully, you just learn new things along the way, just like anything else. You right. know, you just hopefully keep getting better. When when it so it sounds like you weren't much for school, Mm-mm. formal schooling. No, that's kind of a self education. We 
I was bad at school. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't bad at school, but I just could not pay attention to anything I wasn't interested in. Right. I did really good in uh, English and literature, and I did good in history. Terrible in science and math. I did okay in, in science, but math I just did not excel at at all. Yeah. And, um, and I just wasn't interested in school. I was interested in only the things that I thought were, you know, cool. Like, I love reading. I liked, you know, and I liked uh, English and literature. Uh, I loved that part of school, you know, and I loved history. I always loved to learn about things that happened in the past. And Do you remember anything, like any books early on that jumped out to you, either uh, remember, in school or just... I remember reading you know, Death Be Not Proud. I'm thinking that was a really, really good book. Uh, that's the only one I can remember, like, off the top of my head. Uh, I was always into horror for some reason. Like, I remember when I was, even when I was a kid, I loved scary books. Yeah. And I would read uh, scary books. I remember one time when I was a kid, I didn't know who Adolf Hitler was. And for some weird reason, we had a copy of Mein Kampf in, in our elementary school yeah. thing and I checked it out and I remember the uh, the librarian being like looking at me like are you crazy she's like do you know who this is and I was like no yeah. you know like, I have no idea who this is it just I thought the cover of it was neat and yeah. then she she was like you, you don't need to read this <laughs> she's just like grab it's it in your, it's in their library man. yeah and I was like and then she was like I can't believe this is in here but it was so bizarre I was like but that's you know also rural Louisiana so I was going to say it's probably pretty conservative yeah uh, it was a very conservative place Especially in the '90s, now it's it's gotten a lot, a lot different. But in the in the in the mid '90s, it was, which is when I would have been there. Yeah. You know, it was different. You know. Was your family very religious at all? Or? Yeah, my mother was, and and I grew up in that Southern Baptist, you know, Hellfire Damnation Church. Brother Roy Davis. Yeah. Yeah, and back then you could get like spankings at church. Like the the, the preacher spanked me many times. Yeah. Yeah, for disrupting service, and I came from a totally different world, man, than the one that people are living in now. Yeah, you know, I look around and I'm like, shit. You know, it's so, it feels so much more. Everything feels more lenient now. Right. You know, which is good. I mean, people are like, not that the, the tension isn't as like high. You know, right. I remember thinking the tension felt so high as a growing up as a kid. Maybe just because you got out of there. Yeah. <laughs> it could help, you know? Yeah. But was Muscle Shoals like that? Or is that, I mean, I, I imagine that as like no, it was being lot, much more. It was a lot looser. Yeah. It was a lot looser. And, you know, and then my father was never really very religious. So when I moved in with him, it was a totally, it was the opposite spectrum. It came, it came from being like a very strict household to like nobody was watching me. Right. Nobody cared. I mean, not that they didn't care, but it was just like I could kind of do whatever I wanted you know, ride my bike anywhere I wanted, like, kind of just do my own thing, and, and you know, the Hall family took really good care of me, I remember them watching me a lot, Miss, Miss Hall, and then Rick, and Rick, Rick Hall's son, Rodney, and his wife, Kelly, I'd stay with them a lot, and they'd take me to school, and my dad also traveled as a touring musician, yeah. um, he played with different country bands back in the day, so he was gone a lot, and, uh, so I stayed with friends of his, and uh, but I watched him play. You know, he was like my he was my hero, especially when I was young. You know, like he I just thought he was like a, a god. You know, yeah. like he had the guitar and he was writing cool songs. And 
He looked cool. He, yeah. he dressed cool. He was just, he was everything. He was, you know, I just wanted so bad to break out of that, like, strict world, you know. So when did you start writing your own songs? Around 15, that age, yeah. When I was 15, I, I wrote, uh, I really started writing when I was 10, but I always say 15 because that was when I wrote my first good song. Yeah. Yeah, and... I remember somebody saying, hey, that's not bad, you know, like, that's not a bad song. I mean, taking that to the next level, you know, being like, wow, that's, that's cool. I wrote something that was halfway decent. And I just got addictive. I just, I loved music, you know, as far back as I can remember, and I wanted to be able to do that. But you didn't, I mean, it's interesting that you, your dad's doing one thing and you gravitated towards something not entirely different, but, you know. Yeah. So, you know. Significantly different, I you know, I guess. I always felt weird. I remember thinking, my friend Ben Tanner, he was the engineer there. He came to work at Fame at 2004. He was like fresh out of college, and uh, and I remember I was like, man, and I was writing songs at that time. That's when I first started, and I was writing these songs, and, and what was coming out of me was like so weird, and I didn't. I was like, there's no market for this. Yeah. He's like, yeah, there is, man. Yeah, there is. And he like gave me. I didn't have any real music education. Like, I didn't know about, you know, Leonard Cohen, and I didn't know really a whole lot about Springsteen. Right. And I didn't know about like. I only heard what was on the radio up until then, because everything I had known was mainstream. Right. You know, because my father wrote for the mainstream, and you know, my mother listened to mainstream music, and what you heard on the radio was nothing but mainstream music. Right. So when he gave me like. You know all these records like you know the Jayhawks and Wilco and right. you know and I was like whoa these people are doing this and they're doing what they want to do and they're writing what's coming out of them and they're not trying to be what's on the radio sure. you know what I mean and have they have careers doing yeah it and they too, have yeah. careers doing it and I was like that is incredible and that's that's what I want to do you know and uh, so that was that was also a enlightening and an eye-opening experience when I started listening to those artists and, and really feeling like there was a home somewhere for me yeah. you know, if I was going to do this and, and make it in the business that was a power to me It's interesting because the, I mean, a lot of those, I feel like a lot of those kind of mainstream country songs, like lyrically, they're very clever, or there's a lot of like kind right. of cute wordplay in it, but it's right. kind of different. 
it's a very different thing from listening to like suddenly hearing like Leonard Cohen or someone like yeah. that who's like yeah creating literature basically you right. know like I was always into the art aspect of it you know uh, and you know my father if it's not straight to the point if you can't if you don't understand what it is that the person is talking about right away yeah he's not in it he's right. not into it and I was always like looking for the deeper meaning not to say that he wasn't either yeah but I was always like I would really and it's all to me a lot of it has to do with melody I'm, I'm addicted to a good melody right you know and but it also has to have this lonesome feel to it you know sure and that's something that was relatable but um but yeah so that appealed to me and I, I think that was what our big difference was is I like the I like searching within something right you know um, it doesn't have to be all laid out for me in order for me to to want to get into it you know um so when I listen to you know how to fight loneliness or something like that on you know Summer Teeth Wilco like wow this is you know I mean that song is straight to the point you know like, but that record is kind of all over it's the all place, over you know? the place you know yeah and there's like songs that like almost are like yeah. fractions of you know just or like, like the stranger fraction song songs. by Leonard Cohen it's like what what does this mean and then you and then you keep discovering that song the more you listen to it yeah and then it has a new meaning you know and like there's new discoveries. One day I felt like I cracked it, and I was like, "Oh, I know what this is about." Yeah. You know, and it's just about a. It was about a dude who was taking advantage of a woman, you know. But the way he said it, and the way he was just some Joseph looking for a manger, you know, like yeah. you have to search within that to find the answer. But then it means so many other things too. Like we're all just some Joseph looking for a manger, right? Yeah. We're all just some somebody looking for some like somebody to give us that comfort again that we felt as a child you know or like that that feeling of wholeness you know he's a hell of a guy to discover when you're setting out to write songs it's like oh, yeah. uh, you know well you want to give up because you're like he's done it all he's said it all yeah I'm never ever going to come anywhere close to what this guy has done it's very intimidating but like in a beautiful way you know and you can only learn from people like that right. you can never expect to be on that level you know what I mean sure but what a writer yeah he uh, he comes up a lot I mean I feel like there's a handful of songwriters yeah. that songwriters talk especially about. up this way you know? yeah but a lot of people in the south don't know who Leonard Cohen is yeah so yeah. I felt like I had found a diamond in the rough you know cause, yeah. you know people were like Leonard Cohen never heard of him you know you well know? and there's the I mean it does some of the production is a little bit of a barrier to get yeah. into it you know yeah because it's so stark, you know. He was doing some of that like weird, like synthy stuff, drum machine stuff. That yeah, but that like, was like the eighties, you know. Yeah. But I still like some of that stuff, you know, like the future, you know, like all that. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah. It's not my favorite, but that that uh, that album. Uh, I'm drawing. I've been drawing blanks lately. The, the album is a uh, death of a ladies man. Yeah. That song is a great song, and that's produced by Phil Spector, and I was like, wow. You would have never thought that Phil Spector would have ever produced a Leonard Cohen right. album, but that, the, 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 you know, the coalition between the two of them was incredible, you know. When your early stuff that you, I mean, were you, that you were doing, was it, is it similar in style to what you're doing now, or were you, I mean, if you were kind of discovering all these influences at the same time? 
I think it was, yeah, I mean, you know, Popper's Field was all of the first things I ever wrote, and it was okay. the best of the first that, of things that I ever wrote. It was all the things from 15 till 19, you know. It was four years worth of songs that I had to choose from. So it was the best of the best of what I had in four years. It was like the stuff I began doing, and I think I've evolved since then. I've also certainly, you know, that was, all, that was 10 years ago, you know. That record was made 11 years ago, actually. Uh, it was done in 2008, but it didn't come out till August of 2010. So, it, but I mean, that was, that was just, Definitely, and when I listened to that record, I was like, "Yeah, that was definitely." I can't believe it even came out because I'll listen to it and I'll be like, "Wow, I had." There was so much growth to be had there. Yeah. You know what I mean? As far as being a singer and a performer and all that, I think I definitely can tell that I've grown since then. But I've kind of done, kept a similar vibe. You know, the essence of what I was doing then is still there and what I do now. But I want to. I feel like I still haven't branched out enough. And that's know. so young, though. Yeah, you it know? is. Yeah. I mean, every once in a while, you hear like Jackson Brown or whatever, and you know, and was, whatever age was, he was. But and it was that good. You know? Yeah, I mean, he was like wise beyond his years, right? But most of, of us aren't uh, aren't so lucky song wise. Um, yeah. Um, I'm, so I heard a rumor, or I heard you say in an interview, not a rumor, that. Um, Jason Isbell once gave you a list of books. Yeah, he did, do you actually. Do what was on that? I do. He, he just told me to go out and buy... Um, he just told me to read. Because uh, he, he was like... I, I asked him if he went to college for writing and how he became such a great writer. Because like, so, he was probably... I mean, he was a bit older than you, so he was probably yeah. A, yeah. not an old guy then, but no, he an was, established guy at He that was point. in his late 20s, probably. Okay. And I was in my late teens. Okay. And uh, he was making Sirens of the Ditch. He was making his first solo album, and that was 2007. So I would have been 17 when they were when they were. Maybe it was even 2006. I might have been 16. But uh, he was at Fame, and I remember just he was sitting in the lobby in the little foyer outside of Studio A. Yeah. I remember just asking him like, how he became so good. And I had this. Um, there was this family called the Hill, the Lawsons and the Hill family, and they were a famous family in town. That's the Decoration Day family, right? Yeah, yeah. for the feuds, and they're a real family. Okay. And I know Billy Lawson. Billy Lawson's also a songwriter, and uh, you know they are they that was a real thing. They were wow. they were killing each other. They were they hated each other. And and Jason's family is 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 related to the Hills. Okay. And uh, but yeah, but Billy Lawson he wrote. He's written some hits for country music radio, but he would carry a gun around. You know, he was like, some guy tried to shoot him on stage, and he shot that guy from the stage. Yeah, he was playing at a show. That's crazy because that sounds like uh, you know some kind of historical. It does. Like, yeah, know, but I remember hearing the demo of that, story, and the yeah. way he laid the the story out, I was like, man, you. It's like one of the best things I've ever heard. Yeah. And it was just, the demo was just him and an acoustic guitar. To me, it was like light years better than the Truckers version. Yeah, it was just like so, so good. And it was just there was like some reverb on his voice, and it was just but it was stark, just him and an acoustic. And the way he told the story, and I was like, how did you write that? Like, how do you write something that good? Yeah, you know? he told you to read. And he was just like, man, you know, he's like I took a creator. Oh, he went to Rhodes in Memphis, and uh, so he took a creative writing course there and he's like I read a lot in college 
during my mostly what we did in creative writing was read. So he just told me to read. Yeah. So he was like, read, you know, Bukowski, read Faulkner. Pay attention to the way they create characters and the way they describe things, you know. Yeah. So he just, you know, gave me a list of authors to check out. Tennessee Williams, you know. Um, That Southern Gothic literature, a lot of that. Flannery O'Connor, you know, Wise Blood and... I don't know, man. I just pretty much read whatever he, whatever I could get my hands on after that. Do you feel like that changed how you were writing at all, or? I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. Draw. You know what I mean? It, they were good books, but I don't know if I learned anything. Right. You know. But uh, I think I tried to pay attention the best I could. I never have been very good at paying attention, but but I do like to read and. But I feel like there is like a narrative quality to a lot of your songs, right? I mean, yeah, is that for something sure. you're... Yeah, and character development. And yeah. The thing about a song is so much different than writing a book because you don't have any time to develop a character. So you kind of have to lay out the plot and the story very quickly and say it where people can get a picture in their mind with it, with, in, in very few words. Right. You know what I mean? And so... And I'm not very smart really you know but I but I know like I, I, I always associate words with feelings and so like when you use certain words they evoke certain feelings you know uh, that's all it is it's just translating a word into a feeling that's all music really is in songs it depends on what kind of music you're trying to write you know right but mostly and at the end of the day I mean all people just it's all about like the songs about love are the ones that are the most important you know and I remember thinking I'm not going to write a love song ever again because there's too many of them out there in the world And but then I was like you know honestly that's like the only thing that matters in this life is the love that we have for other people you know that's such a sound like a hippie now but but it's true like you know like when you when you write like when you write you know like that's the only thing that matters it's the only thing that's worth writing about I mean, there's a reason why certain themes come up across time and generations, right? And, yeah. Um, so it doesn't yeah. make sense. I yeah. Mean, it's a good mission. It is. But it is, I mean, it's good to, I always wanted to, you know, uh, broaden my horizons and, you know, try, try new things and challenge myself, you know, and try to write about whatever, you know, anything, yeah. you know. I always liked writing about. I was always into like gangster movies and Wild West movies, and I love that kind of stuff still to this day. You know, like just where there was a lot of uh, is it protagonists? Like you yeah. know, like the, the the hero is the bad guy. Right. right. You know what I mean? And um, so that's an that You're anti-hero. antagonist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like, but. I don't know, man. I just love that kind of stuff. So I'd always try to write my characters to be somewhat bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially in, like, the new album, Renegade. But, uh... I mean, those are the most fun characters, right? The complicated ones. Yeah, and, you know... Morally complex ones. Yeah. Those are the ones I could always, like, relate to a lot better. I could never relate to, like, the people who were, like, the... the it just never seem, seemed realistic, you know, when you see Superman. It's just not realistic. Nobody's that good. Yeah. You know? And, you know, but whatever. I don't know. I can see the river bleeding out 
to the promised land Where there ain't nowhere to run from the blood on your brother's hands We're paying the cost for life here of our own We're left with nothing but holes to lie in when it's gone And if I could steal a conscience clean I finally put my mind at ease Will we ride the rails of a history Where there ain't no honor among thieves Do you, I mean, in terms of like songwriting process, is there an approach that's more common? For you, like lyric-driven, music-driven, it's, kind of it, it's 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 always melody first most of the time, and then phrasing is very important to me. I think Damian Gerardo, he's like one of my favorite modern songwriters, yeah, but his phrasing is what I love. And if you can get the right words and the right phrasing, it's just so important, you know, and the melody and the way you phrase the melody, because it doesn't really matter what you're saying if you don't have a great melody to go along with it, unless you're like Leonard Cohen and, you're, and your words stand up by themselves, right. you know, but not a lot of people are that guy, you know, so you just, you write a good melody that hooks people's ear and then the words always come last, but there are some times where I'll have like a cool line and I'll write it down in my phone, you know, because we're living in the 21st century, yeah. and I'll just drive and I'll, I'll hum a thing and then I'll have this really cool line, and so it'll start with a line. I love like classical music. Um, there's so many good melodies yeah. in classical music, and I'll get like melodic ideas just from listening to like you know Tchaikovsky, and, you know Chopin, people like that. You know, uh, I love that stuff. I love it, and also love just film film scores. You know, James Newton Howard, and, um, Hans Zimmer. Uh, you know, modern film film score scores uh, Henry Mancini from back in the day yeah. you know that kind of stuff has so much melody in it uh, Percy uh, Faith what a great composer that guy was you know um, there's a lot of melody in all of that stuff yeah. a lot of but you know I try to think of your melody as like another instrument and then you try to fit like your message within a nice phrasing and a, and a, and a, and a nice melody you know it is I mean it Songwriting is interesting because it, there are all these weird constraints, right? That you don't have if it's a poem or something that you have to like yeah. serve the melody and you have to you serve know, the melody, yeah, for and sure. Rhyme, <laughs> yeah, you know, like that's no. You know what song doesn't rhyme, and it's an incredible song, is uh, "America" by Simon and Garfunkel. I heard, yeah, that that came up recently actually. I yeah. was talking to someone. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I didn't realize that, and actually, my father pointed it out to me. Yeah. he's like, dude, that song doesn't have one rhyme in it. And I was reading through the lyrics, and I was like, it doesn't. Yeah. But what a song. Like, Amazing, yeah. If you can do that, I, that's like the mark of a true badass. Well, and, and he's interesting, too, because he, um, uh, American tune, that's uh, a classical melody that he yeah. lifted, too, right? I mean, he's yeah. done a couple of things we're talking about. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's a very inspired songwriter. Yeah. Cool. You want to go? Oh, okay, thanks. I'm hearing a lot of coke these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
I feel like the list of books that you sent over, a lot of them are kind of books that are about kind of personal growth or spiritual growth in some way. Is that... Getting your shit together. Yeah. <laughs> that's one way I put it. Yeah. Is that a, um, that's a something theme I've been, that... Something I've been trying to do for a long time, you know, and just trying to grow, you know, spiritually and not religiously or anything, not... I'm not, I'm, I don't know about God, I don't know what that is, I just know there's a, there's some something out there that's more powerful than me, but I don't have any idea what it is, yeah. you know what I mean, and I don't need to know, but, uh, but yeah, I love reading books that help me get through the day, you know, uh, and make my life a little bit easier. Are there a couple that you, you can talk about that? Yeah, I mean, one that, ch- one that changed my life. And it really, I, I still to this day like live by. Though to me the books like that, it's like a book that's meant to be studied. It's not one you just thumb through, you know. And like, but there's that power in album at Eckhart Tolle. Okay. That book just I was had so much anxiety. My early twenties were just racked with anxiety and depression, and uh, I took so much medicine trying to get get through it. Uh, you know, and, and also self-medicated, trying to get through it. And and then I, about four years ago, I discovered that book, and I started reading it. And it just, it, there were, you know, I, I grew up with like, you know, when something was wrong, you know, people would be like, just read the Bible. Yeah. You know, like I'll take care of it. I'm like, how the hell is Jonah being swallowed in a whale for? three days going to help me get through today. You yeah. know, like, what kind of information am I going to get from that that I'm going to be able to use to apply to my life to keep me from having, from suffering, you know? So it was just, I, I, you know, and then I discovered that book and there was nothing crazy in it. Right. It was just, it just sounded sane. How'd you, how'd you come across it, do you remember? I, rem- I think some somebody gave it to me. Somebody, it might have been uh, somebody at Single Lock, actually. That, that gave me that book, but I can't remember who. Or maybe, might have been my, the girl I was seeing at the time. I'm sure she was ready for me to get some yeah. help. <laughs> but, <laughs> anyway, but um, yeah, I, uh, I, I read the book and, and I still have it on, I actually have the audio book on my phone and every now and then I'll read it. It's a good book. I was always terrified of heights and, Every time I came to New York, I'd have to ride elevators and I'd be terrified. It would just make my life hard, yeah. you know, and I had all these little quirks and it just made my life difficult and made other people's lives difficult that, you know, were having to work with me. Now I'm just I'm trying to make my life less difficult and other people's lives less difficult. And I think the first way to do that is to take care of you so you don't have to out other people yeah I mean I feel like mindfulness is probably an overused word these days but but that was kind of the, I don't think that's so. kind of the well I, I hear you hear we hear it a lot yeah, yeah. I guess maybe not overused but it's certainly a word that's having yeah. its moment but yeah but, um, it's, it's a, but good a lot word. of these seem like that's what we're talking about basically it's just ways to be yeah be present be present you know? yeah. yeah being more present and, and being more aware of what's going on I think the kids are using the word woke yeah. Stay woke. <laughs> What's hilarious to me about that though is like they don't really even know what the beginning of that word means. Yeah. If you're saying you're woke, you ain't you ain't woke. That's that's for sure. Yeah. But whatever. That's another word that we won't know about. I don't. 
Yeah, pretty soon. The, um, I mean, I guess Siddhartha is kind of in that in that vein too. Yeah. Right? I mean, he's like the embodiment of somebody who's yeah on that journey. I wonder what Herman Hesse was going through when he wrote that book. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember when how you came across that one? That one, my buddy actually who lives here, who I'm staying with, uh, gave gave me that book. My friend Julian Archer, who is a amazing um, tailor, and he makes the most beautiful clothes. He's a designer. He's great. But yeah, he was. He gave me that book many years ago. Um, that book kind of started my journey in a way. Like when I read that book, I was like, it was a book about a spiritual journey, you know. And like, it's like, man, it's interesting. The whole that idea, you know. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh-huh. <coughs> Sorry. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, is it you find it yourself more drawn to types of genre? I mean, you said you were interested in horror. These a lot of these are kind of um, kind of essayish books. Are you? Are you I was always just a, a anything that was disturbed. To? Yeah. You know, anything disturbing I always liked. Remember reading that short story, A Rose for Emily? Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, that one was like a very disturbing story. Just things like stories like that. Uh, that story has an amazing, there's an opening paragraph in it where he basically, like, if you just read that one paragraph, it's basically about how her house is on this street that used to have the yeah, nice yeah. houses in the neighborhood and now yeah. like cotton mills and garages have come in yeah. and her her house is like the last remnant there yeah. like the, it's an eyesore like. amongst eyesores right and if you yeah. it literally is like the whole story in a paragraph you know like you have the yeah. industrialization driving out all of the other houses and this last house in worse shape like that speaking of like working and fine brief strokes like yeah he, he could do it yeah he could I went to his house in Oxford yeah one time just to just to see it and see if there was any of that Faulkner mojo yeah around. well he's still got the there's the one room where he's got the one, one yeah. of his books like mapped out on the wall yeah, right yeah, he's, and then they have his desk and all that sitting there where he where he sat down to write yeah I went there this is maybe an interesting segue because I've heard you talk about it but I was in Mississippi and I was like should we go to New Orleans for the day or go to Faulkner's house and yeah. I was like well New Orleans isn't going anywhere yeah and that was two weeks before Katrina came oh, and um, it did go somewhere it did yeah it, it definitely went underwater. did <laughs> um, but it sounds like that kind of was a moment that um, that, that was post Katrina yeah was part of your childhood right yeah post Katrina and then pre-Katrina I remember going down there with my grandparents because my grandfather absolutely loved New Orleans and he was from South Louisiana and a lot of my family still live, lives there he was born in Lafayette and uh, they're all Cajun LeBlanc like on the LeBlanc side they're all Cajun yeah. people you know and those people as a people are like very interesting people they're yeah. smart like people think Cajun people are typically like as that stereotype that Cajuns are dumb sure they're not 
there's people out there that build their own dams and make their own electricity and live off the grid on the Atchafalaya Basin. Yeah. It's and such a rich culture. In, yeah. You know, in lots of ways. Best food in the world. The best gumbo you'll ever eat is at somebody's house, you know, in, in Lafayette or in the countryside in like Eunice or yeah. Maurice or somewhere out there. But, God, the food is good. And everybody knows how to cook. Yeah. And I lived in Lafayette for three years and I loved it. I loved it so much. It was great. I still love it. That's, I mean, New Orleans is where I want to die. Yeah. You know, in South Louisiana, that's just always going to be my home. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care. Wherever I am, I'm definitely. Sugar cane and love.